we began our series of Revelation, who was, who is, who is to come. Pastor Mark made a very important part in his sermon. He said, context is everything. And it's true as we look at the book of Revelation, to understand context of what was going on in the world of that day when the vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ was given to John on the island of Patmos. We're 2,000 years removed from these events. And so it's kind of foreign. It's hard for us to understand exactly what was taking place. So this morning, for a little bit of time, we're going to go through some history of what was taking place in the world to put this chapter of what John saw, what the revelation he was given was, in its context. There was a city near the turn of the first century known as Ephesus. Ephesus was what you would call in the Roman Empire a bridge city. It was a city that was so stationed that it became the trading place between the east and the west. The far east, meaning spices and silks and things that came from that area and those goods that came from the west. So much so that they had a huge marketplace. I want to show you a picture of the ruins of that. This is the ancient city of Ephesus. This area is called the Agora, the marketplace. And this is where trading would take place from all of these people that came into this area. It was an important center of commerce. And if you made a living agriculturally, if you worked for a guild, if you were a craftsman, anything was sold at this place in the city. It's how you earned your living. But there was one problem. In order to sell in the marketplace at Ephesus, you were required to do one thing. There was an altar where you had to burn incense in honor of the emperor, to honor and to worship him as God on earth. And when you went to burn the incense there, history tells us that you were given some kind of an ink blot either on your hand or on your forehead that allowed you then access into the marketplace at Ephesus in order to trade, in order to make a living. And in the city of Ephesus at this time, there was a small group of people of a new religion. They were called Christians. And they had Jewish roots. And they knew that no one else on earth was ever to be worshipped other than God eternal and Jesus Christ, his only son. And so they refused to take that mark that allowed them to trade. That mark of what they believed was the mark of the devil, of offering worship to somebody else. The devil, the dragon, or sometimes called the beast. And so they were barred from that. They couldn't trade. They couldn't earn a living. They didn't know exactly what to do. Now, emperor worship wasn't new in the empire. It had begun all the way back in the days of Julius Caesar and had been carried on. You know, a lot of times at Christmas, we talk about Caesar Augustus, uh, who was ruling at the time of Jesus' birth. Some of the names that he had, the divine names that he was called in the empire at that time versus the backdrop of the Christmas story, that he was known as the Son of God, that he was the Savior of the world, that he was the bringer of peace in the world. And it had continued throughout 
the different Caesars as they had come up. But no time had it been a higher and more fevers pitched than at this time in the empire, under the rule of the man that Pastor Mark mentioned last week, the emperor Domitian. Now he talked about many of the atrocities that Domitian would exact on people who didn't bow to his will, who opposed the emperor, who wouldn't do the things that he wanted them to do. Atrocities that were aimed at this group of people who would not offer worship in his name. Domitian had taken this emperor worship so much to the point that there was an edict out in the empire that he was only to be addressed wherever he was, even ladies, by his own wife, as my Lord and my God. And that was how he liked to be addressed. If you didn't address him that way, you were put to death. It was that simple. Wherever Domitian went in the empire, he brought with him a chorus of 24 priests who wore white robes and had gold crowns. And wherever he went, they sang a song of worship to him. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, for all the power and the honor belongs to you, Domitian, our emperor, our king. All of this was on plain view of anybody, but especially in Ephesus, because Ephesus was the chosen city of Domitian to call it maybe his crown city. He loved the commerce. He loved the things that went on there. So in Ephesus, on top of the marketplace, there were also many statues erected of Domitian. There was one near the beginning of the city that was so high, over 20 feet tall, so that it could be seen if you came in from the sea or you came in from the east on the travel roads to know who it was that was in charge. And Domitian visited that crown city often because he liked it. And so as he visited, there were altars throughout the city that when he made his procession with his people who followed along and sang his praises, he would stop and everyone there had to bow, had to be out that day to give worship to the emperor. I want to show you a picture of one of the statues that was in the city of Ephesus. This is a picture, a statue of Domitian. Now it's important to understand as you look at this statue, in his right hand, he holds a scroll. The scroll, it was the symbol of his power in the empire. The scroll was symbolic of the divine names of the Caesars, of their titles, of what they had. That he was the one who held all this power in his hand. That he is the one who ruled the empire. And by this, he is the one alone who is worthy of the rule, worthy to take control, worthy of all of those things that happened. And so on top of this, in these statues and the worship, what would happen is when the Christians were there, they could not bow and worship him in those areas when he would make a progression. And so this made the emperor furious with this new little sect in the empire. Because above all in the empire, it didn't matter that much what you believed as long as you were willing to worship the emperor. You could believe whatever you wanted furious to the point that we know of what he would do, of taking them and putting them to death in the arena, in the, with the gladiators, with animals, whatever different way that he chose and thought was important. 
And because of their opposition, one of the things that he had done was to take what he believed was their leader, their pastor, their eldest pastor, and to take him and exile him on an island called Patmos. That was John, John the Apostle, John who was the one who wrote every time the disciple that Jesus loved. And while John was on that island, he received a revelation from Jesus Christ of things that were to come. But the people in Ephesus, before that letter was written, began to wonder. They would see their friends tortured and killed. They would know that they could not trade and could not earn a living. What were they to do? Not only that, there were other Christians in the city of different sects who said, you know what, you don't have to really believe all this about the emperor. Just go through the motions. Just offer the incense. Just offer the worship. After all, you need to feed your family. You need to do the things that are important. You don't want to be singled out. It's the law of the realm, and if it's the law of the realm, it has to be right, doesn't it? So don't draw attention to yourself. Just go with the flow. Just do whatever's required so that you can go on living. Well, we know that they didn't. We know that they were oppressed in many ways, horrible ways, things that were such atrocities we don't even want to think about what was done to them. But they began to wonder. They began to think, is Jesus our Savior really in charge of history? Is he ever going to return? Will we ever see the victory? Are we done? Are we to die? Is this to be the end of all that we believe? That is the backdrop for what I'm going to read to you from the book of Revelation. The backdrop of what John was given a vision of. The backdrop of who was truly in charge. And John writes these things these people. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I imagine as John saw that vision and there was silence and no one was found, as he said, to open the scroll, he began to wonder, is Domitian truly the ruler of the world? Is he the one who has the final word? Is he truly the conqueror? Do we have no hope for the future? Is everything that we believe done? But the vision for him continued, and he writes this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And I'm sure John at those words said, yes, conquer the Lion of Judah, the power of God incarnate. This is what we need to put down a Domitian. This is what we will conquer under. But the writing continues. And John writes, And then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures 
And among the elders, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Now think about those in Ephesus who first heard the words of these prophecies, who heard the words of these writings, of thinking of the might and the power of somebody like the emperor Domitian and the rule of Rome over all things in the world. And to see a lamb, a gentle, helpless lamb who appeared as if he had been slaughtered and gutted. And he is the one in history who is worthy to open the scroll and to read, to take possession of the future and to know that he is in charge. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign forever. I imagine when the congregation heard these writings for the first time, they wept. They wept to see this picture of heaven. They wept to hear the news of who it was who controlled history. Because what John was saying to them, I have had a vision of heaven itself, of the throne room itself. And guess what? Domitian isn't on the throne. The Lamb is who was slaughtered, who was slain. The cross wins. The Lamb wins. The victory belongs to Him. What that must have had an effect on them that day when they heard these words to encourage them, to strengthen them in the midst of their fear. You know, it's said that in the next hundred years after this time of persecution, by the end of that hundred years, most of Ephesus had become Christian. They would not bow the knee. They would not offer worship. They stood their ground in the face of a world ruler who was ruthless because they knew that history was truly in the hands of the one who was slain. To sing the chorus of worthy is the Lamb, to receive blessing and honor and glory and power and dominion forever and ever. They stood in spite of of fear. So what about us? What about us in our world? There's a lot to be fearful of as we watch the news and the events of history unfold. And we can be tempted, like many people, to wonder who is really in charge. Are we left to our own devices? But this picture was not just for the city of Ephesus. This picture of heaven was given to you and to me to let us know who it is that truly is in charge, who really has conquered by His blood, by His sacrifice, by His resurrection. Jesus Christ is the author and the one who has the final say on history. No matter what we see, no matter how discouraged we are, 
we know that the Lamb wins. Sure, we can be tempted as people to do what some of the others did, to just say, we'll go along with the flow. Just honker down a lot of people want to do as they come into church or in the school. Let's make it just a safe bubble from the world where nobody can affect us and nobody can hurt us. But that's not what they did in Ephesus. They continued to defy the emperor. They would not bow. They would not worship. And by their strength, they went out to meet the world, to win people for Jesus Christ, and came up with those who had never heard this message and brought it boldly into their places so that their hearts could be changed, so that they would know, too, who it was that was truly on that throne. Pastor Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church in Barrington, Illinois, has called churches in our day who refuse to bow the knee to a domation prevailing churches from the verse that Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, what we saw in history of Domitian was an imitation of what was real. And so often, that is what Satan likes to do. We think Satan is dark and in these strange areas and some medieval concept we have of him. What he does the most effectively is imitate what's real. Of try to look like everything is right and good with a little twist on it. There it was in Ephesus, a twist of what was really worship of what Satan knew was transpiring in heaven, of who it was that was in control of the Lamb who was slain, who held the scroll, who held history, who wins the victory. May we always remember that He is the one worthy, that by His blood we have been redeemed. As it says in the end of the book, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Stand firm in the face of what we have to face, of whatever comes, to hold to the truth of what we know. Jesus Christ is worthy to receive honor and glory and power and blessing and dominion forever and ever. And may we join those who fall down around the throne to worship, and say in that final word, Amen.